This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. And today we are focusing on mental health, starting with an event that has been in the news, shocking, heartbreaking, disgusting. Those words barely capture the reaction to the murder of 14-year-old Delvin Selvey in broad daylight on school grounds in front of his mother. His mother says the accused, 14 and 18-year-olds, had been bullying him for months, that the school was aware, the police were aware, and that everyone failed Delvin. How does bullying escalate to murder? The accused have been charged with first-degree murder. That's premeditated. The only comparable case I can think of is the murder of Rena Verk in BC back in 1997. Uh, now, do you want to hear your reactions to this? 416 360 toll free 1 866 740 And now I would like to bring in Dr. Deborah Pepler, a research professor and expert on bullying in the Faculty of Health at York University, and Dr. Claire Crooks, professor and director of the School of Mental Health at Western University. Uh, doctors Pepler and Crooks, uh, welcome and thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, let's start with Dr. Pepler. Uh, so that is the question. How does bullying escalate to murder? Well, there's a power dynamic in bullying that defines it. And those who are bullying increase in power as it's repeated over time. And those who are being victimized decrease in power in that relationship. How it goes from bullying to murder is something I don't think any of us will understand. But in our observations of bullying on the school playground, we found that when one child started and another child joined in, the child who was first bullying became more aggressive and more excited. And when children or, or youth are excited, the, the emotional areas of their brain are firing and active, and the parts of their brain that are logical, that monitor, that help them understand whether this is good or not good to do are just not having an impact. So it's it's something that we have to continue to address, continue to talk about, and take very seriously when students or their parents come forward to say it's happening. Uh, Dr. Crooks, are there factors that we have now, like social media, that are making this whole phenomenon more violent, or did we just not know about violence beforehand or not that often? Yeah, that's, that's a great question around the role of social media. And I think there's, it, it changes the possibilities in a number of ways. So one example is, is you can get people involved, other, more people involved in that sense of audience can happen a lot faster. Uh, and that we know that that's also sort of disinhibiting, like the bigger crowd, the, the more excitement if people are egging you on, 
in, in your aggressive behavior, that, that that can play a role. Uh, it makes it harder for kids who are being victimized to get away from the bullying because even if they switch schools, often that sort of follows them with the connections and friends of friends and all the different ways that kids connect. The other thing is it can really, um, we've lost any kind of natural cooling period. If you think about when we were young and uh, if there's bullying happening maybe on a Friday and then over the weekend, people just have a chance to kind of cool down and to, and sometimes things get forgotten or some of it can, can settle. And, and we've lost that because kids are texting or, or messaging each other all night. And so there can be a lot more momentum, I think, from, from that. And then we also know that it means that it's just really, really hard for kids who are experiencing victimization to get away from it ever, because even if they stop going to school or even if they try to be somewhere safe, that the, the reach of social media is you know, 24-7 and you really can't get away from it. Dr. Pepler, the other thing, I mean, th- that, I mean, it all boggles my mind, but they chose to stab Delvin in broad daylight. Like they had to know that they would be immediately caught. Well, at some level, maybe they knew they'd be immediately caught, but it's a social display. If you're having power over another person, it shows everyone that you're powerful and that you have status and you have control of other people. And when we again observed bullying on the school playground, much to our surprise, we found that 85% of the time bullying occurs, whether it's on the playground or in class, other children are watching, they're paying attention to the child who's doing the bullying, and, and, and they, are, they exacerbate the problem. They make it much worse by being there. Okay, and uh, are there any successful strategies to turn this around, or is it, is it a head-scratcher? Oh, there are many strategies, and it, it starts with the whole school. It, it requires everyone associated with the school, the, the administration, the teachers, the parents, the students, to be aware and to act differently, um, not model the use of power over another person. And then there are strategies to raise awareness and, and develop social capacity among children from kindergarten all the way through. Claire is involved in a very good program around adolescent relationships, the fourth R. And, and there are children in our schools who are not prepared. They haven't had the foundation that prepares them for the, the social complexity and the attentional needs and the, and the social skills that they need to function in school and later function in society. So we have to identify those children, especially those who have mental health problems, and are highly antisocial or aggressive, and we need to intervene early to stop the processes that continue to feed the antisocial behavior. Uh, Dr. Crooks, there's been some suggestion that uh, schools just don't have the means to properly discipline uh, bullies. Is is that true, or or you know, because this case was known. Right. So I think uh, it, it, discipline is a, is a tricky word in terms of it meaning different things to different people. And certainly, you know, clear consequences for behavior are one piece. But 
if you back up a bit, if you're relying on discipline for kids who are engaging in bullying, we've missed the boat already because that means there's already been this establishment of, of power, as, as Deb mentioned. There's already a child who's suffering and maybe worried about coming to school. So certainly consequences are one piece. It's not going to stop bullying or prevent bullying, which is really what we want to move to. And that's where we need to shift that focus to, you know, what's the opposite of bullying? Like the opposite of bullying isn't just kids who don't bully. It, it's kids who know how, who have the skills to engage in mutually respectful reciprocal relationships and to know how to how to make friends and keep them and to know how to intervene when they see a friend uh, who's who's struggling. And also schools schools are one player here. So schools have, have a really important role and a lot of opportunities. Uh, but there's there's they're one piece and they, they can't solve it all. So the other part is that every adult who's now doing the head scratching you mentioned needs to also think about what role they play in 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 the behavior they model for, for kids in their lives and youth in their lives in, in the youth that they mentor or maybe coach or maybe neighbors to, but that this focus, shifting to this focus of how do we develop and sustain healthy relationships, I mean, that's the prevention of bullying. It's not just having good strategies for discipline once somebody's caught. Uh, Dr. Pepler, do you agree with that, that uh, that that there isn't a, a big, huge problem or a big solution with the discipline? Well, I do agree with it because if you're disciplining a child and giving harsh punishment to that child, then what you're saying to that child inadvertently is, I have power over you, I can control you, I can distress you, and that, that actually is, is representative of what bullying is. It's power over, power to distress and control another and harm another. And the person on the receiving end has no recourse. So the much better way of doing it is to, to help develop that child's skills and capacity to engage parents in supporting the mental health of their children and helping them understand how their parenting can, can be reshaped to promote the kind of healthy relationships that Claire is talking about and we really need to rethink this because without attending to social-emotional development of children and youth, we're, we're giving them strong foundations in science and, and numeracy and literacy, but leaving a huge, hugely important part of their development out because they're going to need to know how to engage in healthy relationships throughout the lifespan. Okay, Dr. So, Pepler, I know you have to go thing. now. So thank you. I, I think, okay. Is, I, was just thank you I don't think either of us, neither of us would say that there's not, that there's not a role for consequences or that not, so there's nothing you can do when bullying's occurred. So um, I think we would both recognize that, that fundamentally there's a human rights issue here, that kids have the right to be safe at school. They have the right to their education. They have, they have the right to develop their full potential. And those are rights that we have signed on to as, a, as Canada has signed on to as a signatory of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. So I just, I don't want the message to somehow inadvertently be that once this bullying has occurred, there's nothing we can do to stop somebody. Uh, but it's more about all the things that need to happen upstream and, and rather than waiting till we're in this kind of crisis situation. Okay. Uh, now I know Dr. Pepler has to go. Thank you yeah, very thank much. Thank you so much. Yes, we, we are uh, continuing with Dr. Crooks. And uh, thanks for that clarification, because 
what I was going to say is that all those things you're talking about sound well and good, but they also sound, uh, I don't know how to put this too, too soft. And, and with, uh, you know, young bullies getting away with that behavior, uh, it's just going to continue. And, and also I want to question at home because one of the phenomena that I hear about now is that when, kids present a problem at school and often when their parents are brought in, the parents say it's the fault of the teachers. The parents, you know, when I was growing up, if there was any problem with me, boy, and the teacher called, uh, you can be sure that I got it at home. Okay, so the, the couple, couple of interesting points in there. So this idea that uh, that these sounds are like soft skills, I think you're right. It's, it's easier to start teaching them when kids are young and to teach them in a consistent way. So we need to think about teaching healthy relationships the way we teach kids to read because we recognize that reading is a, is a fundamental skill that you need to be successful in the world and relationships are exactly the same. So we don't wait till grade eight and do sort of a bullying um, lecture or workshop and expect that to somehow be enough. We, we need to think about intentionally teaching kids skills and the skills are things like self-awareness, so understanding kind of your own emotional reaction and your impact on others, social awareness, so seeing how you affect other people, decision-making, relationship skills, and self-management. Uh, and and those skills need to really be taught every, every age and stage of development. And interestingly, the new Ontario Health Curriculum does have those skills in every year from, from kindergarten to grade eight now as a as, uh, learning expectation, which means the same way that we're expected to teach math or literacy, we, that teachers are now expected to teach those. So um, so that's a really promising step. Uh, you know, the, the idea that sort of reactive and harsh punishment ends something, I mean, the, the, the research just is not consistent with that. So what we know about overly harsh and punitive parenting is is it actually increases behavior problems and other kinds of adjustment problems in kids. So absolutely, parents need to, to step up and be parents. And when your child comes home and, and you're hearing something from the, from the teacher, absolutely being able to hear challenging things and thinking about how to react as a parent and not a friend, those are all important pieces. Uh, but just that's a little bit different than the second part of what you said, which is the wait till your father gets home message of yesterday. And I think that's probably less effective. Um, and what we know is that when people's behavior is being controlled by fear of, of getting caught or spanked or something like that, then they just actually tend to be better at evading detection. So it's more about not getting caught rather than learning these lessons that you need to learn about managing yourself. And frankly, I think those are the roles that, those are the skills that, employers are looking for that, you know, ability to manage relationships and emotions. And so they're not just, they're not little kid skills either. There's an increasing recognition that things like emotional intelligence actually predict your performance better than your IQ or actual cognitive intelligence do. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I'd like to bring in Brian Trainer, who is a retired police officer from Saskatoon and also an expert on bullying. And Brian Trainer, are we too soft on kid bullies? You know, I agree with everything that the the speaker has said. Um, Emotional intelligence is definitely the way to go. However, from a policing perspective, there has to be some, some form of deterrent. Uh, I'm not saying harsh punishment. Um, 
I, I, I fully believe in, in teaching kids how to be good citizens. My area that I teach uh, mostly at First Nation schools way up northern Saskatchewan is cyberbullying more than uh, straight bullying. And that brings a whole new um, aspect to, to the field of bullying. I mean, you have the anonymity of cyberbullying now. And, and so how does the school react to uh, threats that take place outside of the school environment, off campus, off hours? Um, there, there are ways of dealing with it, but that's another aspect that, that is something that's new to our generation. We didn't have that as kids. Our kids have that now. Uh, and Brian, what is your take on how does this, you know, whether it's cyberbullying or verbal harassment, how does that escalate into violence, let alone deadly violence? Well, you know, I, there were there were some pieces that are missing, and of course, I'm not privy uh, to all the details of the of the case that happened in Ontario. Unfortunately, uh, you know. Why? I guess the questions I have for the police is just about every school in this country has a, a community liaison officer or a school liaison officer. Was there a breakdown of communication? Why weren't the police aware that these people were banned from the school? And why wasn't a threat or risk assessment done to determine whether or not somebody was at risk of this happening? Uh, that, that's pretty well a status quo out west, and I'm sure it is in Ontario too, but and maybe it was done. I don't know. But if it wasn't, uh, there was an error there that, that failed to identify that this had escalated to the point of uh, first-degree murder, unfortunately. Uh, Dr. Crooks, my understanding is that generally it's, it's virtually impossible to, to expel kids. Um, that will depend province by province and territory on, on the specific legislation. It's not impossible to expel kids. It has the very specific behaviors in each provincial legislation that decide when you're in that that sort of zone. Uh, but I think that's that's also a bit of a false security that somehow just getting rid of the bad apples or expelling them is, is going to create safety for this kid for any kid because they uh, because they are not at school around the clock and and. They, you know, this can easily happen in the community as, as easily as on school property. So, um, expulsions are, are certainly part of it. Risk assessment, absolutely. That that's a really important piece. So, if you think about this whole continuum of prevention to intervention to, okay, we're in the red zone now. Absolutely, we need risk assessment and 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 more uh, critical and timely interventions for when you're at that point of danger. So it's not that you're going to expel every youth the first time there's bullying, but a proper risk assessment might have um, flagged some things that needed different types of remedies at this point. Okay. I'm going to take a call from Jim and Pickering. Hi, Jim. Hi. Good morning, Libby. Uh, good discussion. I'm enjoying it. And at least it's been mentioned here this morning that, but I don't think we're putting enough emphasis on, I think the one of the main uh, key areas is in the home. And <clears throat> that's where it all starts. And, and I think that the punishment does not need to be harsh or punitive. It needs to be firm and consistent. 
So my daughter's a teacher now. Now she was bullied a long time ago and whatnot. And one time we got a call about her. It was like grade seven, eight. And I mean, a long time ago. And I said, you know what? Phone me anytime, 24-7. And I just told my daughter, and there was no, you know, no corporal punishment, just you can stay in this house as long as you wish and go to school for as long as you wish, but you cannot, you know, go there and embarrass us or yourself. And and she knew that any time you try one more thing, and I hear, and I'd be standing at the door waiting and just laying down the law. But you know what? We have to look at the parenting and guardianship. Okay, I'm going to let our guests respond to that. Thank you, Jim and Pickering. Thank you. Okay. So I'd love to respond to that. I, and I think, Jim, when you're explaining that, you're, you're explaining two sides of a coin, and they're both equally important. So you're explaining clear expectations and, and communicating those consistently, and those, those are all, we know, things that are associated with good parenting and good outcomes for kids. But you're also, what comes through, you're, you're talking about these in the context of a warm, safe, functional parent-child relationship, and that's the equally important part. So we know that lots of families, for a whole range of reasons, um, and it could be, it could be, you know, violence, it could be mental health issues, substance issues, it can be intergenerational trauma, that, that it's just trying to add the, here's my rules for being under my roof, wouldn't be as effective because it's missing that other piece, which is that, that warm and functional relationship. And, and, um, your daughter feeling safe to be able to call you anytime and, and wanting to be part of that family. So there's so many challenges for, for families, and that's where schools you know, and, and other agencies end up picking up a lot of gaps in terms of not all children who come through the door for school have had those, the same kinds of safe and warm and healthy experiences in their homes. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Jerry in Scarborough. Hi, Jerry. Hi, I just wanted to bring something to point. When I was in public school, I was I was pushed around quite a bit too. But one of the problems, and I don't think people are, are realizing it, that if you get pushed around and you go to a teacher, you complain to a teacher, and there and those kids are are pulled in front of the principal, and and whatever is, happens happens. They're going to be waiting for you outside of school after school, and they're going to catch you on the way home. Who protects you there? There's no teacher there because you're off school property. So a lot of the kids remain silent for fear of repercussions after school on their way home. I'm sure. Thank you for making that point. Um, Brian Trainer. I'm sure that's true. Absolutely, it is true. Um I always, I always tell the kids that don't go to a teacher. Go to a teacher that you trust and that you that you like. We all have our favorite teachers. I was in love with my grade five teacher. I was going to marry her until her fiance showed up and he's seven feet tall and taller than I was kneeling. <laughs> but we all have a teacher that we trust and that we really look up to. That's who you go to, and then it can be dealt with in a different manner. The principal doesn't have to call these these two in. They can deal with parents. They can uh, they can involve the police if that's needed. Um, the the law. The thing that that I get out of it, Liv, is that by law we have to send our kids to school um, or or homeschool them. And so by law they're at school, and the law says the, the Supreme Court has said that 
principals will uh, act as if they were reasonably a reasonable parent, reasonable caring parent. When you know a kid comes and says I'm being bullied and and there's not a lot done, or uh, there is you know they're waiting for him outside of school type of thing, I don't think that that principal has fulfilled his all or her obligations um, as stated in the Education Act. And in most provinces have that that same uh, um, statement in their in their Education Acts. And I think that might might be part of the problem. I mean. Uh, teachers and principals are overwhelmed. Not a not a doubt about it. But when it comes to personal safety, um, something has to be done. And, and you know, kids kids are are walking out of school and they're marching. Let's save this planet. Well, how about we march to let's save some lives? Okay, uh, interesting. Let's uh, take a call from Steve in Mississauga. Hello, Steve. Hello. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, I just. I'm just calling in because my daughter went through this in uh, public school, middle school, and in high school. And the bottom line was, the whole time was, the principal did not want to deal with it. The principal avoided confrontation. They did everything they could not to deal with any of this. Um, guys, the principal, that principal in Hamilton, they need to be held accountable for this. Because they're, I'm going to tell you, at the bottom of it, I know they're at the, they're, that principal ignored this. And this is a common theme. I hear this from teachers. I experienced it firsthand. Somebody needs to go down to these principals and say, you've got to deal with this. That's what you're paid for. Okay, Steve, that's uh, an interesting point. Thank you for that. What is the process now? I'm sure that that school board is looking at that principal, Dr. Crooks. What What's the process? Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think I can comment on their um specific process, a school board in general would look at whether uh, the due diligence is whether the, the protocols and procedures in place were fa- were followed. So there's very mm-hmm. clear rules about when you, um, when you need to call uh, a family, when you need to call in other people. And I, th- I think that those are the kinds of things you want to look at were, were proper uh, resources accessed for the board, uh, because it's, the principal is ultimately the the captain of the ship, but there's that's a lot for one person. So did they access those other resources? One of the things we've started to do here at Western University and other places is try to start to improve pre-service education for teachers, because teachers are eventually become principals, or so, some do, and where are they supposed to learn about this? And, and we have lots of teachers who are overwhelmed or experiencing burnout and fatigue or leaving the profession, and when they say why, it's it's not because the math, the new math was too hard, or, you know, it, it's really, chal- it's the challenges of these things, so challenging mental health issues with their students and or kind of bullying and, and social issues, and and so we need to, the whole system needs better capacity of knowing what to do because it, these are big, complex problems and, and the impacts are, are, can be lifelong. And they, uh, you know, I was thinking Absolutely. earlier when Brian was talking about cyberbullying that uh, we know that actually cyberbullying impacts can last longer than physical bullying in some way, that so, some of that and online harassing we, we've, can, um, we've can have a longer We've had children commit suicide because of it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, we're really running out of time on this, though we are going to continue the conversation with uh, other aspects of mental illness. I'm going to take one last call from Simone in Parkdale. Hello, Simone. Uh, hi there. I agree that principals need more power to deal with this. 
some kids are, uh, who are uh, uh, bullies are taken out of the school system altogether and put into technical schools and things like that, which uh, I've heard someone on the radio station today say. Another one is a case where a guy called in. He said that uh, there was a, there, a lot of bullying by somebody, and the teacher took them into another room and slammed them against the wall so hard it cracked the door, and there was no more bullying after that. Well, that might have been. I don't think that would go on anywhere. <laughs> the it's teacher much, would be in jail if they did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's too much fuzzy-wuzzy stuff going on. That's all you hear, and there's no solution. Okay, Simone, okay, thank, thank you for you. that. Well, that's what a lot of people are, are feeling, that it, there's just too much uh, fuzzy-wuzzy stuff going on. I mean, uh, if if there is anything good that, that can come out of this is that, you know, people will take a very hard look at this. Uh, we're, we're out of time on this. Uh, I very much like to thank our guests, Brian Trainer and Dr. Claire Crooks. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.